Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 19 of the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, and thanks for listening. We're recording this episode during a pandemic, the messy middle of so much change and challenges in 2020. And yet, there is beauty and light in the world, in nature and the fall colors, in innovation. I continue to be grateful for the frontline healthcare workers which includes pharmacists, pharmacy residents, student pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians working so hard every day. Thank you. And now let's talk about a leader. Sarah White had leadership roles with the University of Kansas Medical Center and then served as director of pharmacy at Stanford and a clinical professor at UCSF before taking early retirement. Sarah and I are gonna be talking about many things today including her insights on mentoring and capturing pharmacy stories. I'll give you a bit of an introduction of Sarah and then let her tell you about herself, her career, and her many varied experiences in life in general. You can't see this to my listeners out there, but I have a big smile on my face this morning just thinking about our conversation that's coming up. Well, Sarah has trained close to 100 pharmacy residents and numerous student pharmacists who are a source of immense pride for her. She's a past president of ASHP, served as chair of the House of Delegates and chair of the Women in Pharmacy Leadership Steering Committee. She is also the recipient of the 2006 Harvey A.K. Whitney Lecture Award, Health System Pharmacy's highest honor. Sarah, thank you for being here with me today. As we get started, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your family, and a brief overview of your career experiences. Thank you, Melissa. I'm happy to be here. I've enjoyed the previous podcasts that you've done and would recommend them to folks. Just just briefly, I grew up in a very small town in northeastern Oregon, and I was fortunate that that the high school science and math teachers were pretty good, so I could make it in college in pharmacy school. My folks both were in the Second World War. My mother was a diploma nurse, and I remember her telling me, in fact, she who influenced me into pharmacy, that she was stationed at the Presidio in San Francisco. And there was this wonder drug that they got to give the soldiers coming home. She said it just worked miracles. And what it was, was penicillin. And so in my lifetime, you know, because I was born in 45, we have all these new drugs. But before that time, there were only sulfas to treat that. I thought, what an interesting, and she suggested pharmacy to me because I was interested in um, science and math. When I got out of pharmacy school, I uh, worked a, a year with uh, in Portland, Oregon for the University of Oregon. And I was kind of bored and a friend and I wanted to go to Europe. And I almost can't believe I did this, but we, we bought a Volkswagen and picked it up in Wolfsburg and drove all over Europe. Now that's what a young person does. I would never do that today. But yes. we had great, and it really whet my appetite, which you'll see what I do in retirement of this foreign travel. I also was bored with practice. 
And some of my instructors had talked about these residency and master's programs. And so I applied at Ohio State and the best thing I ever did for my career was to complete that residency. And then as you mentioned, I went to the University of Kansas Medical Center where I put together the clinical education program and in the Department of Pharmacy as an assistant director. And then some years later, 20 almost, I wanted to be a director of pharmacy and really didn't think Harold Godwin who was the director was going to. So um, looked around slowly. And uh, since I grew up on the West Coast, uh, Stanford was was convenient for me. And so, you know, you never know how things are going to play out. Because you mentioned I did take an early retirement. And there's kind of an interesting story around that. Some of my nursing friends were talking about that they could take an early retirement and still have health insurance. And I clearly got lucky. At that point in time, Stanford Hospital if you had over 10 years of service and were over 55, what they would do is keep you in the employee health plan at the rate you were paying as an employee if you retired. And so at age 58, I couldn't have afforded health care on the open market. But I thought, you know, there's a lot of things I, I haven't been able to do because I've been working. And so that's why I took early retirement when I was only 58. So interesting, you know, opportunities are everywhere. And as I was going to do that, I called a few people to let them know that this was my decision. I didn't want people to think I got fired. And one of those folks was Henry Manassi, who at that point in time was the CEO of ASHP. And he mentioned, why don't you come and spend some time with ASHP on the East Coast uh, as a scholar in residence. And my attitude at that point was, I need to just relax a little. But after a month or two of relaxing, I did call and I spent four months in Washington, DC. ASHP picked up the tab for my uh, expenses that allowed me to really sightsee along the coast. But what I, I needed to do was do a publication. And so I had trained a lot of leaders and I thought, well, we'll just survey and see where leadership is about. And that was the article that's published, I think, in 2005, that there is a leadership crisis. And I had no idea how that would open doors for me in terms of just, you know, speaking, publishing, and everything. So you never want to turn anything down. You never know how it's going to pan out. And so I did that. And then I was have been fortunate enough to be on a corporate board of directors. And uh, OmniCell is a, a automation company that the pharmacy folks are familiar with. And I was asked to do that based on people knowing me from ASHP. So these things all kind of flow together when you think about the kind of career that it evolves. And I guess my life lesson out of that, out of this is take opportunities or make them, you know, you don't have to, you'll figure it out. Yeah, you know, I'm so grateful, Sarah, that you shared that. Clearly, I'm aware of your research, you know, in 2005, because I've referenced that in some of my leadership work. And I know you've talked about it at meetings that I've attended with you, but I didn't realize like the intersections and how that came together. And so I think your input and your insights to our listeners is really, really cool. And I also, as we get started, I mean, I've shared this with you personally, I've shared it publicly, but I want to reinforce I'm doing the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast today because some of the work that you and I have done together. And you were very supportive and encouraged me to be on the ASHP 
Women in Pharmacy Leadership podcast with you a couple of years ago. It was my first podcast, as you may remember. And I just had a blast, you know, talking with you and talking about stories. And then after that, kind of thought through how can I spread new stories out in the world. And so on, on my season one kind of summary episode, I, I referenced that, but I just want to make sure that we acknowledge that today. And you'll hear as we talk today, how many people you've inspired, but that's just one small example of your life and your legacy and how it's kind of been out there in the world. So thank you, a big, big thank you. So 2020, it's, a, it's an unusual year, as I said in our intro, and it's a year of change and transition. And what you just described to me about kind of your career journey has had a lot of change in it too. So what are some of the things that motivate you every day and who are some of your inspirations? That's a great question, uh, Melissa. Thank you for that. You know, I have time now or have had time to do various projects that I was interested in. Who knew that I would get involved in these letters books that are published through ASHB? I kind of joke that there's some English teacher in Oregon high school just rolling over in her grave because this was not my forte. Uh, I was glad I had the science and math. But you work with folks that do the copy editing and those things. So what you're doing is the professional aspects. And so there are a series of letters books at, we get pharmacists to really tell their own personal stories. And I think there are five of them available through ASHP and they're actually on Amazon, which impresses me that I'm on Amazon. Yeah. And uh, another one will be published here right in the next month or so on leadership lessons. So, you know, there's a lot of just fun stuff if you've got the time to do it. One thing I realized is we as health system pharmacists are such a large group that it's hard for younger people to get to know and benefit from some of us older people, so to speak. So I recorded a number of conversations and they are available on the ASHP Foundation's website. And they're with a number of key people and there is a tribute to Gloria Frankie. And so you don't even have to be actually an SHP member to get those. They play on YouTube, so I'm on YouTube too. You can tell I'm enthralled with new technology, given yes. that I went through pharmacy school on a slide rule and because we couldn't buy calculators. The first calculator I bought was $300 and all it did was add, subtract, divide, and multiply. And I used to say with this story, I throw them away now if the battery runs out, but I don't even do that because I use my iPhone. So those have been fun things to do. I do a couple of programs at the mid-year. Uh, actually, ASHP has a blogging service called Connect that as a member you can access. And since I read a lot of literature and management uh, information, I usually once a week uh, publish notes of what I'm reading. And uh, my scholar in residence program, my publication really stimulated the development through the foundation of the Pharmacy Leadership Academy, which is an online year-long program to develop our particular current practitioners. And I teach one of the six-week sessions in there. Uh, again, all kind of coming from this scholar-in-residence publication. The foundation also does some virtual uh, leader programs for residency programs. And so I would normally be traveling next week to do one of these in Albany, New York. But as you probably have guessed, I'm going to be doing it virtually. And that yes. was 
too. It's not ideal, but it will work too. The other thing that I really have been doing and wanted to do in retirement was foreign travel. Having driven all over Europe and realized how much I didn't know, then I have done multiple programs and we'll get back to doing that. The tour group that I go with, Road ROAD Scholar, are doing virtual programs and I've done a week-long virtual with them and you know it isn't being in that country but the, it worked. There were videos, there were slideshows, there were lectures. So you know I think everybody's kind of rising to the need of this virtual kind of stuff. So I uh, you know, there's a lot of things I keep myself busy with, uh, just intrigued by helping and, and uh, doing whatever I can. Yeah, I love those examples you gave, and we'll link to the ASHP Foundation and the resources, and I really want to give a shout out to those interviews that you've done, and I remember over the years, you've shared with me and encouraged me to check them out. You know, when, when you and I have had a conversation about, you know, some of these health system pharmacy icon leaders to learn more. And I guess that's something that I think I would say to our student pharmacists and to our residents and young practitioners, that if you have the ability to meet with someone who is more seasoned in their career and actually knows some of these leaders that did some groundbreaking things to be able to learn firsthand. I mean, I found it so interesting when you talked about Gloria Frankie and that you pulled together so many people talking about reflections from her and your interview with Meta Lou Henderson. I just have learned so much and in, in the last couple of weeks talked with Meta Lou about Zeta Cooper and Meta Lou had interviewed people who in the early days, early days of AACP and you know and when she was doing the women's section who knew her and so to to have that kind of direct linkage I think is really important. I also appreciate, you know, your interest in, well, I can't travel right now, you know, I can't pack up the suitcase, but, you know, let's see where we can go virtually. And that's one of the things that we're doing. We're cooking a little bit different. I made a recipe. I mean, I had this cookbook from our, when we got married, Rick Bayless cookbook, and I made a new dish last week. And it was like, well, we're not going to Mexico right now, but I'm going to, you know, honor that through trying something new. Well, you know, when we talk about leadership, your name is so synonymous with leadership and with um, advancement in pharmacy. And you've had significant experiences at ASHP. And I feel really fortunate to having been a member for many, many years to, you know, see that journey um, and be a part of it. So you've served as chair of the Women in Pharmacy Leadership Steering Committee. You were chair of the House of Delegates, and I remember some of those sessions. And then you were elected the 96 to 97 ASHP president. And I just want to reflect that that was early on in my days leading PTCB. And I remember your service and your leadership during that time. And it was kind of a breath of fresh air. Like you brought in a different way of looking at things and positioned ASHP in a very solid way moving forward. It was early on after the transition when Dr. Otis had retired and Henry, you know, was coming on board. So I just humbly and sincerely want to say thank you for your leadership there. But I think it's important to talk a little bit about your experience running for office. So how did that go? And tell me more about that. Sure. Uh, uh, let me first talk about something that is germane to all of us as pharmacists, and that's being a perfectionist, which we have to be in drug therapy and patient care. But we tend, it's easy to try to be a perfectionist in our personal lives and in everything else we do in pharmacy and that gets in our way. So uh, we need to, what I teach in the Pharmacy Leadership Academy is envision two hats 
one a pharmacist hat, one a leader hat, so that you're not a perfectionist. And the reason that's important in leadership is there aren't aspects that are going to be crystal clear. There's never enough data and you have to make decisions and function in the gray areas and take calculated risks. And that's all okay in the leadership arena, but you've got to let go of that perfectionist uh, stuff that we do as a pharmacist. You never lose that. In terms of your question, however, uh, when I was at Ohio State, Cliff Lachelet was the would be RPD and director. And I saw him heavily involved, as were many of his people, in professional organizations. In fact, during my residency, he was a PHA president. So from an early uh, stage, really, realizing that professional organizations are a way to, one, give back and to continue to build your skill set. We have a number of different uh, aspects within local, state, and national professional organizations. And yeah, they take a little time, but what it did for me, it has done, is perfect my leadership skills. And I've also met a phenomenal number of people on the national level by being on the board of directors and president and et cetera, which really helped me when I uh, relocated to California and needed to get up to speed on what the board of pharmacy and the health department were doing. I could call some directors of pharmacy in California and they would take my call because they recognized my name. So I always enjoyed just the broadening of the issues and enjoyed, you know, serving on the early section things. I think we called them special interest groups at that point in yeah. time, the evolution of those things, because it does, it develops your skills, gives you a much broader view of healthcare and what the issues are. And then the networking that is just so key to being satisfied, I think, in what you do and things like the leadership a women in leadership task force that I was asked to chair. Um, we have done a number of things, continue to do that. So it's a, a really neat involvement. And so I would encourage everybody to, you know, make and, and seize opportunities, um, especially at the local and state level. Uh, they need committee people. They need people to chair committees, to be on boards of directors, to be a president. And I think anybody's done that will tell you it, it really has helped them in their own lives and their own career as well. So, you know, make and seize opportunities. It's up to you. You ask about the presidential runs, and I do need to share this story. I generally had one when I'd run for something. However, the SHP presidency, I had to run three times because the first time I lost by 30 votes, and then I think the second time I lost by 100 votes. You learn a lot about yourself because you put yourself out there and you didn't win. So that's when I kind of dropped back and was chair of the house for three years. You had to run every year for that and then tried again and finally was the president. So one needs to persevere. If you really want something, don't make it life and death, obviously, but then persevere because you can figure it out. That's kind of what I've done with all this technology coming from my, my slide rule to get through pharmacy school to the, you know, I've got my Apple watch on and my iPhone and et cetera. So don't give up. Nobody else remembers that you ran and lost if you don't make it a big deal. And there are a lot of people that won't even put their name in because they're afraid they'll lose. 
And so, you know, you have to have a little conversation with yourself. It does not feel good. I will admit that. But you try. And uh, if it's meant to be, it will eventually. I think that's such important reflection that you shared about perseverance and that people won't remember if you ran before. And we do know that there's data out there that says if women are running for office and they don't win, it's oftentimes then they decide not to run again. But men are like, okay, you know, let me give it a try, give it a go again. So I think the encouragement about putting your name out there and then you know, my sense would be the experience that you gained when you were chair of the House of Delegates. I mean, being chair and running a house and navigating the policy process, that's tough. That, you know, that's kind of trial by fire in front of all those people and, you know, the comments and all the things that come up during that kind of session. So I, I really think that's helpful input. And, you know, when you talked about perfectionism in pharmacy and then in pharmacy itself, and, you know, that we do need to be so focused on zero errors in practice and in serving the patients, but then also in our life, how there can be, you know, ambiguity and change. I think remind, reminding ourselves of that is so important. It's important in 2020 in the social media culture that we live in. You know, I, I've talked with students and residents about you know, what they see um, on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And, you know, we've had to say kind of that's a curated version. Like everyone's dealing with stuff. You just might not see that right now. And also I think is, and you've addressed this a couple of times, talking about kind of your pivots and your shifts, you know, you're supposed to be in Albany next week. And so if you were focused on when we do these visiting leader visits, they are face-to-face. Well, that could really trip you up and have you have a lot of more suffering and angst about it. So I appreciate that you shared kind of looking at the bigger picture and what that looks like. And finally, I think this idea of encouraging people to get involved at the local level or the state level, I know sometimes people would see you, Sarah, and be like, well, she was president of ASHP. Like all of a sudden that just happened. But it's one step at a time. And I think, you know, getting involved, whether it be at your local level or sharing something and, you know, moving in leadership in that way can make such a difference. And I had a student one time say to me, I can't do this. I can't run for whatever. It was a student office because I don't have experience. And I said, well, no one has, ex-. you know what I mean? You have to get the experience. Like you start, everyone starts somewhere. And so, you know, I thank you for sharing kind of your journey, because I think it helps kind of put it in context for others. Thank you. Well, Sarah, in the introduction, I talked about your 2006 Harvey A.K. Whitney Lecture Award, and it's something that I have reflected on and gone back to over the years, and I know that there's many others who have done the same. And in that lecture, you talk or you introduce the concepts of big L and little l leadership, And, you know, I'm curious, and I think our listeners would be too, like, how did you come up with these concepts and what did that look like? And then there's so many people that I've talked to in pharmacy. And when there's, you know, a leadership overview or talking about advancing within the profession, big L and little L is referenced so many times. So did you ever like, did you envision that big impact that this would have? And what does that look like for you? It's a good question. I I had no idea the impact. And I think you never can know the impact of what you do or are doing because you're too close to yourself. The history of that is kind of interesting. As I was retiring, Max Ray was the dean down at Western University School of Pharmacy. And 
invited me to be on his uh, dean's advisory council, which I was happy to do. And so he wanted me to give a little history and talk about um, the evolution of health system pharmacy. And so as I was putting that together, I was thinking, you know, yes, the, the leaders did a lot of this, but in my experience, without the staff helping and making it work and having the great ideas from the front line, it would never have worked. And so I needed some way to address that. And so the big L, little L was kind of my way of saying, you know, you've got your formal leaders that everybody recognizes, but they aren't the ones on day to day. Um, it's the pharmacist. And my attitude is every pharmacist is a little L on their practice or in their uh, various uh, site because they're trying to decide what it is that we need to do next. How do we evolve our services? And in my Whitney, I did a kind of a, a tracing of where we've come from. And it's kind of interesting as I think about that. When I was in pharmacy school, now granted this was, um, I graduated in 1968, so it's been a while, but we actually role played how to not tell a patient the name of the drug they were on if they asked. Because in 68, that was the purview only of a physician. Now, fortunately, we've come a long way because we knew that was not what needed to be done. So, you know, it's all kind of intertwined as you move things forward. And so, you know, who knows what some of these things are going to play out. But yes, I do sit in presentations and see people use that, which is fine. I'm just glad it met a need. And if something meets a need, it will be continued. So that's been kind of fun to see how that evolves. Um, and again, it was, I needed something and I put it together and it meets a need. So <laughs> that's kind of how things evolve. And again, you're one step at a time. Um, and so just enjoy your career. Enjoy the opportunities you've got. You'll never know how it's all going to play out. But if you're having fun and making an impact, that's prob probably what you need to focus on. Yeah. I mean, like you, I've heard it so many times. And you know, I think this concept of big L and little L though is so important right now for us in healthcare in 2020. Like as so many things needed to shift, whether it be student rotations, what those would look like, patient care. And, you know, with COVID, it was like each day we were learning new things. And so what patient care would look like. And so I think there was a huge opportunity for individuals, especially pharmacists in healthcare to be, be little L leaders all the time. You know, the other thing that kind of makes me smile and that I wanted to share with you is on this podcast, I've had other people talk about you and, and, you know, the direct influence that you've had on their career. And, you know, you really are what I would consider one of the pharmacy rock stars out there right now. And I was fortunate a couple of weeks ago where we interviewed twins, um, Ashley and Brooke Barlow, who are PGY2 pharmacy residents. They're twins. They went to pharmacy school in Pennsylvania. And they're part of triplets, but they're Tw identical twins. And they talked about meeting you and your influence. And, you know, it was, and also it's been interesting here. Sometimes when people say, you know, Sarah White, like you could, you could email with her. You could, and I'm, I just think back about how approachable you've been over the years. And, you know, you may not even remember this, but there was a meeting that we were at together in um, Seattle for ASHP. I think it was a summer meeting and you just took time and we sat down and I think we had a coffee together and I just learned so much and there was something that I can't remember what it was, but I was dealing with some stuff with PTCB and just trying to sort it out. And you just provided this guidance. And, you know, I heard from Lisa Gersima. I know Bruce Scott very well, who you've 
been very close to for years. Your influence is far and wide. And I just, you know, humbly and sincerely want to say thank you today for that. And I know that there are so many of our listeners out there who share that gratitude. Well, a rock star, I don't, I know I impact people. So it's a pleasure to have, have you point that out would be what I would say. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I continue to enjoy it. And that's what it is. Well, you know, we've talked about you serving as a mentor and, you know, that's been a big part of your career, a thread really throughout. And, you know, you've been in some of the most iconic programs, whether it be in Kansas or um, Ohio State and in, in California, UCSF. And you've helped teach and guide others, you know, residents and students that I talked about. So let's spend a few minutes talking about kind of the nuts and bolts of mentoring, because it's a it's a subject we hear a lot about, we talk about, but I think sometimes our listeners are like, well, but how does it really work? Can you tell us a little bit more about your experiences? Sure. And mentoring is a key uh, aspect. You want to look for people who are doing or have done what you're interested in. And so it may be professionally, it may be integrating your life and your career, maybe it's speaking at meetings, maybe it's publishing. And the most important part, I think, is that there's some personal chemistry between you and them. And uh, it doesn't need to be a contract or a formal anything. Don't be a perfectionist pharmacist about it. Do you feel comfortable together? And then what you've got to do as the mentee is let us know what's on your mind. What I always suggest to people is that you, as you begin the relationship, make sure that both, both of you commit to keeping things that are said confidential because pharmacy is a small rumor mill. And uh, I want to be honest with you as, as a mentee, and I need you to be honest with me. So other than just saying, can we keep our conversations confidential? Um, and then it's just a matter of uh, mentee letting the mentor know what's on their mind. What, what are they wrestling with? And realize that a mentor is not going to solve your problems. What they do is stimulate you to think through the things you need to do. And uh, so it takes various forms and formats. And a lot of times we do use professional meetings. And my advice there is if you know you want to chat with somebody to try to set that up ahead of the meeting, because even at the summer meeting, which is much smaller than our December meeting, there are just too many people for it to accidentally happen. What they can do is introduce you to their network of people as well. So there's many aspects of how it can take a hold. And, you know, some people I have more monthly or weekly conversations uh, with uh, others I may not see for a year or, or whatever's, whatever they need or they're thinking about or wrestling with is kind of the the key to it. And it's a two-way street for me as a mentor. The reason I know how to text and have a bitmoji is because one of my mentees made them for me. So uh, I learn as much from, from my mentees as they learn from me. So don't hesitate to, to be a mentor. Um, and because it's fun to just help people along the way. Um, and it is very much a two-way street. Uh, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't especially at meetings, don't sit always with people you already know. 
sit with people you don't know and introduce yourself and give them your business card um, and get their business card or contact information. I think you can touch iPhones today and it does it, but anyway, somehow you exchange um, your contact information. And as I said, when I moved to California, it was helpful to be able to call some of these directors and say, you know, I've read the health department pharmacy regs and motherhood and apple pie, and I'm sure that's not how this plays out. Uh, will you be honest with me about what I might be in here so I can get myself better uh, ready? And because of name recognition, they were willing to do that. I think a key aspect, and it's just a matter of helping each other. People have helped us along the way because there's so much that isn't written down. You know, how do you get appointed say in these organizations or how do you get something published uh, there's a lot of kind of street smarts <laughs> that go with all of that that you'll never find in writing anywhere that somebody has done it or is doing it can help with because they have the so to speak scars from it so so that I, I think mentoring is a great avenue for all of us yeah you touched on so many pieces that I think are important you know the um setting up the relationship itself, uh, having some parameters related to your communications and, you know, this importance of confidentiality and that confidentiality in the sharing helps to build trust. And we know that's so important for relationships to grow and develop. And, you know, I loved your encouragement of telling people to reach out to others to do that, but also to schedule it. Cause I totally agree with you. I mean, if you think about once you get to, whether it's the mid-year or, or the summer meeting or, you know, residency conference or whatever, your schedule could, can just be so booked. And, you know, if you don't have a, like dinners are, are set up and all these kinds of things. So how do you see, um, you know, we've got the mid-year coming up. It's, it'll be here before we know it. What do you think that's going to look like this year with its virtual? And do you have tips for people related to reaching out or doing some kind of connection since, you know, we won't physically be in the same space? Well, and that's something we need to definitely think about. The program that I'm doing that has, I think, 16 pearl-type bite-sized integrate your life and your career is all going to be recorded. And I don't know, I suppose if there are folks that you normally would meet with, because there's a lot of hallway conversation and just breakfast, lunch, dinner, have a drink, nothing wrong with reaching out and saying, can we touch base? Um, you know, it can be on the phone. It can be a Zoom cocktail hour. Yeah. Um, you're just going to have to get kind of creative with it. I think that's what most of us feel we'll miss. And there's nothing ASHP can do about that because we have to do virtual. So we're going to have to get creative around it. I think we just reach out to people. They, the mentor needs to know what's on your mind. Right. And it can either be a schedule a call because I think these Zoom meetings are fairly easy to set up. I say that I'm on a lot of them, but I've never had to set them up. So there are mechanisms. We're going to have to take the initiative. You're going to have to as a mentee, because it isn't just going to happen in the virtual world. Hopefully in a year, we'll be back to going to meetings, but who knows? Yeah. You know, I think you're right about being purposeful and leveraging technology and trying some things. And, you know, I think, like you said, it'll be one of those things that down the road when we're in Vegas together again, or, you know, in um, New Orleans, we'll be like, Remember that year when we did this instead, you know, when we when we were watching Tom Hanks, the keynote, or, and I can't wait to hear Dr. Fauci. I mean, amazing. But things just look very different this year. So thank you. Those are outstanding tips and insights. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this all plays out. 
Well, our time together is is winding down. And one of the things that I have asked my guests is, you know, while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? I would encourage each of your listeners to challenge themselves to get out of their comfort zones and try new things, do different things. Uh, sure, you're going to make some mistakes, but if you're not being a perfectionist about it, it that's all a learning and it's all under our uh, own control. Don't wait to be discovered and certainly persevere. If there's something you want, you can figure it out. You're just going to have to may take longer than you want and a more a securitous route, if you will. Uh, but get out of your comfort zone. You never, you don't know what you're capable of if you don't stretch yourself and see what happens would be my lesson. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Yes. Stretch yourself, this perseverance, see what happens. And so important right now, because, you know, it feels like we're stretching ourselves as we're trying new things and navigating things. So you know, I just want to say thank you. It's been such a treat. I was grateful a few years ago when we had you come to Iowa for the University of Iowa Zeta Cooper Leadership Symposium, and we spent some time together with that. And, you know, every time you and I are able to connect, whether it be through ASHP's, you know, connect, I, I do read those articles. And I know many of us do. They're so helpful that, you know, the little pieces that you pick up or, you know, sharing other resources have been really interesting. So, I just want to say thank you. Um, this is the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast, encouraging people to subscribe to our show and follow me on social media. I want to say a special thank you too to Kate Cruz, my producer with Executive Podcast Solution. And thanks so much for listening. Well, thank you, Melissa. I've enjoyed doing it. <laughs>